0: Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should do something badly and talk to the brilliant Adam Grant about a podcast he's launching. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature, I'm in New York City, and with me is Elizabeth Kraft, my sister and sometimes my happiness guinea
1: pig. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And, Gretch, usually your experiments make me (laughs) happy, so I'm good to be your guinea pig.
0: (laughs) Well, Elizabeth, um, quick update before we launch in um, to the episode on what we talked about in episode 155, the idea of choosing a signature scent. And in that episode, we mentioned the fact that many people do have a bad reaction to perfumes and scents. And boy, we heard from a lot of people. Many, many, many listeners wrote and called to urge people not to wear scents. A lot of people had issues with that.
1: Yeah, and taking into account that a lot of people have a problem with scents in the workplace, especially, we had a solution to that, which was that a signature scent could be instead of something that you wear, it could be a smell that you just love to find in the world.
0: Yes, exactly. It could just be something that you're searching for, that you identify with. And we got a beautiful email from Judy about this.
1: Yeah, she said, your section on a signature smell reminded me of my grand. Her signature smell is lavender. She'd always snap off a bit of lavender when she saw it and put it down her cleavage. I now live 5,000 miles from her, so don't see her very often, but there is a corner on one of my favorite bike routes where loads of lavender grows. Each time I cycle around that corner, I get a breeze of wonderful grand memories."
0: That's such a beautiful idea. So it's not that she's putting on lavender perfume, but just that she's like, Oh, how much I love lavender and so that the people around her are like, Oh, that's grand signature scent, because she just loves, loves the smell of lavender. So that was um yeah. a beautiful way to use the power of a signature scent without actually like wearing a scent, which as many people point out is can cause problems. Um yes. so Elizabeth, this week I tried this at home is perhaps counterintuitively, to do something badly. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly.
1: Yeah, and um, Gretchen, Sarah and I did a version of this on Happier in Hollywood in episode four, where we said that we were going to suck at something. (laughs) Um, For instance, I'm always the worst person in yoga class. Uh I know I'm the worst (laughs) person. It's never going to be any different. And yet I do yoga anyway at times um, because yoga is wonderful and it's okay to suck at something and it's okay to do something badly. Yeah. And I think
0: sometimes you really need to. It really helps for me to make up my mind. You know what? I'm just going to do this badly and get it done. And I recently experienced this with my photo albums. So in my 18 for 2018, I talked about needing to catch up on my photo albums. And I will say that I do practically the worst photo albums, digital photo albums, that a person can do. Hmm. Um, I use Shutterfly. I use their, like, automatic fill option. I rarely change how they've had it laid out. One thing I can't do is I cannot figure out how to change the cover photo from their the one, mm. their default. And if their default photo is great, that's great. If the default photo is bad, then it's just hmm. bad because I don't know how to fix it. But I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I often, you can put a title on the spine of the photo album and three quarters of the time that I make a photo album, I forget to do that. So I just have to handwrite it in. And, and this is something that a lot of people asked me to talk about a little bit because I mentioned it very briefly. I don't like to type in all the captions because that takes so much time. And I'm already like, Mm -hmm. I want to get this photo album made as quickly as possible. So I make the photo albums with no captions. And then Mm. once I get the photo albums from Shutterfly. I handwrite them in with a Sharpie. Now, I have terrible handwriting, um, Mm -hmm. so it's very hard to read. It looks messy. It's not like a beautifully printed digital album. But the fact is, I get it done. And we have photo albums going back years, and I have not, you know, I've I've been doing it. I got all caught up. This is how I can do it. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this badly and get it done.
1: Yeah. Being willing to do something badly is just very free. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can do anything in this world that you want to do if you're yeah. willing to do it badly. Exactly. It's ha- You know, it's having to do it well that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know,
0: and people often talk about perfectionism and how perfectionism can stop you from doing the things that you want or make you procrastinate. Or, um, but really, perfectionism is about anxiety. It's not about standards. Mm. And so you can decide. I can decide what is the standard. And like with the photographs, I'm like, the bare minimum is enough. Or you've said with yoga, as long as I go, that's good enough. I don't have to do well at yoga. And so you, then there's no sense of, well, I'm letting myself down. It's just that my standard is just doing it at all. And I remember when um, when I was in high school, Elizabeth, maybe you remember, I was trying to get in the habit of running. I was like such mm-hmm. a couch potato. I was trying to get myself in the habit of running. And dad said to me, all you have to do is put on your running shoes and let the door close behind you. And that counts. It was like do it badly you don't have to go from even a mile even a half a mile even down to the end of the block you don't have to do it you just have to like put on your running shoes and let the door close behind you and that that's what helped me get going
1: yeah and when I hike for instance scratch I don't hike you know in cute clothes I don't charge up the hill (laughs) people are passing me left and right you know old ladies Uh (laughs) um and children, but I'm doing it. I'm getting there. I'm getting my fresh air. I'm getting my exercise. And if I'm not doing it to perfection, who cares? Right,
0: right. Well, in another way, I've been using this lately is because as I mentioned, also my 18 for 2018, I'm trying to do more on Instagram. And Mm. some people are amazing on Instagram. It's like they do so many things so well and so creatively. And I'm like, you know what, I just need to do it at all. Like, you know, I'm like trying to learn new things. I'm trying to like, push myself to try bits and pieces of it but you know it's just like try it and if it doesn't work you know don't feel like I have to spend 45 minutes crafting a single Instagram post it's like just do it put it out there and hope that over time I will gradually up my game as I get more proficient and more comfortable with it but not insist that the only way that I can do it is if I'm going to be good at it the minute that I start.
1: Yeah. You know, another advantage of doing things badly is that then when you do have a victory or an improvement, <laughs> yes. it, it, you really feel it. Yeah. You know, if you're just doing the things you're good at, it's like, OK, well, I did yeah. that. I'm good at that. But if you do something well in a field or, you know, in, where you're you're not good at it, like if I made a wonderful craft, for instance, I'm terrible at making crafts. If yeah. I made a great craft, I mean, I'd be walking on air for a week. Yeah. Not that that'll ever, never happen because I won't <laughs> ever be making crafts. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that's easy to assume, and here I think crafts is a great example, it's easy to assume that when people are talking about doing something, like if somebody was saying like, oh, I was doing arts and crafts with my children, you assume that they're doing it well. and um, Right. But they aren't necessarily doing it well. And I saw this when I clerked for Justice O'Connor. Justice O'Connor had this reputation of being sort of this very sporty, outdoorsy person who was like always fishing and golfing and playing tennis and everything. And I assumed that she was really good at these things. And what I discovered is she she wasn't really good at all these things. She was very enthusiastic about it. She liked doing it, but it wasn't like she was excellent at all of them. And I had just sort of assumed
1: Mm -hmm. that
0: from her enthusiasm and the fact that she was doing it, that she was doing it well. And so I think that sometimes we look at other people and we assume like, oh, well, their photo albums look great. Or if they're throwing dinner parties, they're doing an excellent job. Because you think, oh, this person's doing it enthusiastically and often. They're probably good at it. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe they're just doing it badly, you know, which you could
1: also do. (laughs) Yes. Well, and what's funny is you realize no one cares if you're doing something badly. I mean, I think a lot of it is feeling self-conscious. It's like... You know, I don't want to go out on the tennis court because people are going to look at me and say, oh, she's so bad. Right. But the fact is no one cares what you're doing. Right. So if you want to play the guitar badly, go right ahead.
0: Right. No one in that yoga class is looking at you with disdain. They're all doing their own thing. They're not worried about that.
1: If anything, I'm sure they're glad to have someone who's worse than they are. (laughs) Well, this is with the entertaining.
0: So, you know, I've had my three children's literature reading groups, and we take turns hosting dinner at each other's houses. And I always say to them, like, well, I want everybody to feel comfortable hosting at whatever level. And so I am going to represent the bottom of the curve. (laughs) No one can do less than I do. I will do the minimum so that everyone else can feel like, well, I'm doing as much or more than Gretchen, who is like in all three groups. And so it's like uh, I pride myself on that, you know, I'm like, (laughs) you know what? And the thing is, I used to think, oh, gosh, I've got to entertain the way mom entertains. You know, it's so beautiful. I get so much pleasure from going to things that she's done or even seeing pictures of like the table that she set. And then I'm just like, you know what? I'm never going to get there. I can do it badly and do it. It's just that's what's realistic for me. And it's better to do it at all. Than to do to not do it at all. It's often anything is better than nothing. Yes, it goes with something
1: we love to say, which is "perfect is the enemy of good." It's like, in this case, good is the enemy of not doing it at all. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. Do it badly. Do it badly. Yes. Let us know if you do try this at home. Try it badly, and what how the decision to do something badly works for you, and what did you do badly? I would love to know what you did badly. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at gretchenrubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 159 for everything related to this
1: episode. Coming up, we've got a clutter-related happiness hack. But first, this break... Gret, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep,
0: you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So, Elizabeth, I love everything related to clutter busting. I'm working on my book, Mm. Outer Order, Inner Calm. I cannot get enough. And this week, our happiness hack is a clutter-related hack.
1: Yes. Ruth says, Here is my trick for addressing the random assortment of miscellaneous stuff that clutters flat surfaces. In my house, these surfaces would include the dining room table, the cabinet under the sink in the bathroom, the mail area of our kitchen counter, and the bed in our guest room, to name a few. I load all of the items off slash out of the space and into an empty storage basket. And then I take the basket to an orderly uncluttered room in my house and go through it. For me, something about moving these items to another room means that I can suddenly see and process them so much more easily. I immediately know what needs to be thrown out, what needs to be returned to its rightful place, what needs to be given away, etc. I'm not sure why this is, but it works. Well, I think this is a great idea, and it's
0: one of these very mysterious things, which is if you take things out of their context, you often see them much more clearly. Um, and I think it's really interesting the way that she found that if she puts something in a basket and takes it away because things sort of want to stay where they are. You're like, well, I don't really know where to move this. So I'm just going to leave this here. And that's how you start getting these like mm. hot spots of clutter. Mm-hmm. But by moving it away, all of a sudden I, the decision making becomes much easier. I, I can exactly see how that would work. I cannot wait to try this hack.
1: I will say the pitfall of this for me, Gretchen, would be I'd load it all into a basket. I would put the basket down and then four years later, <laughs> that basket would still be there. <laughs> But I, I do see why, in theory, it's a good idea if you have follow through. But also,
0: maybe it's like if you didn't need anything out of the basket in four years, right. maybe just throw the, you know, you're like, well, the basket. Dump the basket. Dump the basket. Well, you know, another, <laughs> exactly. you know what this reminded me of weirdly? and Elizabeth, I don't know if you experienced this in your life as a writer, but one of the things that's really strange for me is that I will edit, 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 edit. A document something that I'm working on and I will think I can't make any further edits to it it's as perfect as I can make it and then I will print it out and I will start editing on hard copy and I will see a whole new set of errors and problems and things that I want to fix in hard copy again it's like if you take something text it's context. Yeah. you take it out of one context and put it in another context somehow different things are revealed to you I've heard of people changing the font on their computer and that that shows them different things in their writing or reading something aloud. It shows you different things in your writing. And so, and I think this is just a very good literal example. It's not even you're metaphorically doing it in a different context. You, you literally are taking mm-hmm. it out of its place. And the benefit of this too is that you're creating order in all those other, as she says, the miscellaneous stuff that clutters the flat surfaces. Because one of the things about clutter is that a little clutter tends to become big clutter But places Mm. that are clean tend to stay clean. And so Ah. by moving, even with you, with your basket of stuff for four years, maybe you're going to fight clutter just by having those places be clearer because then people Mm -hmm. are more inclined to put things away as they go. Whereas if there's a pile of stuff, people start just tossing. You're like, oh, you know, well, this is clearly the place where everybody's dumping stuff on the kitchen counter. Like, I'll just put my stuff here. Yes,
1: that's our house for sure.
0: Yeah, but... But I remember one time when I now I haven't I don't know if this is true after the renovation, but I remember your house was quite cluttered, except that your dining room table was pristine. And I remember you saying, like, well, we just don't put anything on the dining room table. And I was like, well, that's interesting because a clear place was staying clear, um, even though other places were not staying clear. And so I I think this is that's another benefit of this is that it makes it easier to put things away, but it also keeps those danger zones clear.
1: So, well, thank you, Ruth, for a great tip. And I will try this and see whether I end up with clear (laughs) space or a basket full of junk. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Now it's time for our interview with Adam Grant. We're going to talk to the brilliant Adam Grant, who I have known for a very long time. I'm a big fan of his work. He is an organizational psychologist and a professor at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. So he teaches there. And he's also the author of several best-selling books, including Originals, Give and Take, and with Cheryl Sandberg, Option B. He is one of the most thoughtful people talking about issues related to the workplace.
1: And Adam's just launched a new podcast with Ted about work called Work Life with Adam Grant. We spend a quarter of our lives at work, but we don't always spend enough time thinking about how to make it better. Hi, Adam. Hey, Adam.
0: Thanks for joining us
2: delighted to be here
0: and where where are you Adam you're not here in downtown Brooklyn with me and you're not in LA with Elizabeth where are you I'm in actually in
2: Philadelphia in my home studio (laughs) excellent (laughs) oh nice excellent
1: well Adam tell us about your podcast because I I'm all about work so I want to hear about this
2: well, I guess I guess I am too, and uh, I think that probably <laughs> means I'm at least part uh, partially an obliger. More on that later, but oh yeah, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm an organizational psychologist. I study you know how we can make work suck a little bit less, which you know feels important since mm-hmm. we spend so much time at work and. I've spent most of the past few years getting invited in by all kinds of interesting organizations like Google, the NBA, the Gates Foundation, to try to you know, boost creativity or improve their culture. So each episode is based on an unconventional workplace, and I go in to try to figure out what they've mastered that I wish everyone else could know. And then I sprinkle mm. in some surprising social science and usually a little bit of expert commentary as well. Excellent. Excellent.
0: And when you say you're going to unconventional workplaces, what sort of counts as an unconventional workplace? And why did you pick unconventional workplaces rather than seeing conventional workplaces?
2: I think that, you know, a lot of times we learn the most when we go to the extreme, you know, in the same Mm. way that if you were if you were looking for a workout tip, you might go Mm -hmm. to an Olympic athlete and say, all right, Mm. you know, maybe maybe there's something cool there because they're truly a master of this thing that I want to get a little better at. And mm-hmm. so I picked workplaces that were on the extreme. At, you know, it's something that I wanted to capture. So, you know, I wanted to understand group creativity. So I went to the Daily Show Writers Room. Mm. I wanted to know, you know, how mm. do you build trust? And so I would talk to a group of astronauts uh, who were a crew on the International Space Station where they would die if they, if they couldn't trust each other. Uh, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, when, when somebody lives the thing you want to understand, you know, day in, day out, they know a lot more about it than somebody who just does it as a small mm-hmm. part of their job.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And how, what have you changed about your own work life based on, you know, observing other people? Have Do you feel like your own work life has improved?
2: <laughs> um, That's an interesting question. I think that I'm... I'm definitely more aware of what makes me miserable in my own work life than I was before. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so, oh, <God. laughs> so that you know, I, I guess knowledge is power in that sense, or maybe ignorance was bliss. I'm not sure, but uh, I think the biggest change that I've made is uh, something that I, I learned in the in the Daily Show writers' room. Is you know, I've I've always thought about groups as bad for creativity. Because, you know, people tend to talk over each other and they're afraid of looking stupid and, you know, they they just focus on what the boss likes. And so you miss so many good ideas. And so I've always tried to come up with ideas alone. And I I watched The Daily Show, Mm. Writer's Room, and they had these creative bursts. The term for this is actually burstiness, where, you know, everybody is just jumping in (laughs) and they're building on each other and there's a ton of energy and not only did it, it help them generate more creative ideas, but they just clearly enjoyed it. And I loved being in that writer's room. And so I'm trying to bring more of that burstiness into my own life and, and talk to people who bring out sort of creative sparks in me or occasionally even call a meeting to, to bring that mm-hmm. to, the, to the table. Now,
0: you mentioned earlier, you uh, you alluded to the four tendencies, which, of course, is my personality framework that divides people into upholders, questioners, obligers and rebels. And I will put a link in the show notes, to anyone who has not taken the quiz, which is at happiercast.com slash quiz, if you want to take the quiz. But, Adam, so I'm, you, you sort of hinted at it, but
2: I'm really curious. What is your tendency? Well, I'm, I'm actually having a really hard time with this, I have to say. Mm. Because mm. I took the survey, and mm-hmm. as I expected from reading about this in your book, I was an upholder, strongly.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But... I, I guess I guess a huge part of my job is to be a questioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that—that's that's what social science is all about. And so, you know, I, I I find myself doing a lot of that. And maybe it's you know it's it's not my dominant tendency, but it's it's one that I've gotten really comfortable with to the point that uh, one of my students called me a logic bully a few mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, which mm-hmm. I, at first I thought it was a compliment, and I I don't think it was, but. I, I struggle a little bit with, with figuring that out. And then I also feel like I have some strong obliger tendencies, which relate to the fact that helping others is one of my core values. And I, I chose to be mm. a professor because I, I really wanted to, to be helpful to students. And, you know, a lot of times that means, you know, doing what others expect, regardless of, you know, what I might want to do in the moment. So I'm in this weird situation where I think, you know, my dominant tendency is upholder. But part of my job is to be a questioner. And part of my job is to be an obliger. And so I don't know who I am. Can you help me? Mm.
0: Yes. Um, (laughs) I'm having an identity
2: crisis.
0: (laughs) so, so, So you're pointing out something that's sort of a common thing that comes up, which is your tendency only tells you how you respond to expectations. And so you could be incredibly curious, analytical, asking questions, wanting to learn about the world, because that's another part of your nature. And you could also have the value of very much wanting to serve other people and that's your value. It, this is really like, how do you meet an inner or an outer expectation? It's just a very, very narrow slice. So, And you say you're an upholder that's partly questioner and partly ob- obliger. Well, those are the two sides of upholders. Upholders share equality with questioners and that they both yep. respond to inner expectations and they share with obligers, so they both respond to outer expectations. So that's you're kind of on that side of the circle. But the thing – so if you would say, okay – Let's say there was something that you wanted to do that nobody else cared about. Nobody else was checking on you, but you just wanted to do it for yourself. Could you do that easily? Yes, you could. That's an upholder. No, yeah. I, would have, I would really struggle with that. That's a blighter. The fact that you choose to serve other people, well, that's in a way your inner expectation because you're choosing to live up to your own values. Yes. Now, yes. now, with Questioner, the question is, if somebody asked you to do something, would you be like, well, why should I? <laughs> or would you be like, okay, you know, if that, if, like, unless there's some obvious reason not to, like don't use a cell phone or five garments in a dressing room. To a questioner, it's like, <laughs> this is unthinkable. Five garments to a dressing room? That's totally arbitrary. Why is there a rule? There's no line. Why can't I have six? You know, this to them is very troubling. To an upholder, it's like, I get it. Okay, fine. Five is fine. I don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about that. So does that make you feel more solid in the upholder um, tendency?
2: It does, yeah. I am i don't think I could be more of an upholder based on the way you just described no, it. Right? Really? I was, <laughs> oh,
1: that's funny. I, Well, there are
0: not many of us. Good. I'm glad to have you on my team. Um, now, we always ask a guest if they have a good try-this-at-home tip for our listeners, but because it's you, maybe you have a try-this-at-work tip
2: or two for our listeners. I, I actually can bridge the two, or at least I'll try to bridge mm. the two, which is... Um, I think that one of the hardest things at home in any kind of relationship, but especially in a marriage, is to, to meet each other's expectations while also meeting your own expectations. And so, mm. you know, like, I think in a marriage, you, you really want to be upholders as much as possible uh, in order to be happy. Because uh, otherwise... You, like a
0: true upholder. <laughs> I know, I know. But,
2: but, but not, not just, I'm not just biased as an upholder. I, I think it's really frustrating To have the person who's supposed to love you, you know, more than anyone else on earth and, you know, who's supposed to care about you as much as they do themselves, you know, resist something just because you want it. Right. That's that's not what a good relationship is about. And so my wife and I realized uh, a few years ago that we would constantly have things come up that we needed the other to do. You know, like she would ask me to call the cable company and, you know, get them to stop overcharging us. I would be looking to, you know, to see if if she might be able to give me some feedback on something I was writing. And with kids, it was really hard to keep track of all these things. And, you know, often I would say, you know, I I have a lot of work on my plate. I I really don't need to talk to the cable company right now. And then she felt like I wasn't wasn't prioritizing her. And eventually we realized this is why in the workplace we have weekly meetings. And so we Mm. said instead of date night, we're going to have meeting night and once a week. We're each going to come with a list of the things that we, we need or want the other to do. And then we don't have to nag each other throughout the week. And we can really live up to each other's expectations, but also feel like our own expectations are being met. Mm. I love
0: that. So it's have a weekly meeting. How long does your weekly meeting last?
2: On average, it's, it's 20 to 30 minutes. And, you know, some weeks we don't have a lot. Other weeks, you know, we, we either have a long to-do list for each other or it's a good time just to, to catch up on what's been going on throughout the week.
0: Hmm, interesting. Well, that's a good one. Have a weekly meeting.
2: Yeah, that's good.
0: Excellent. Well, that's a good, that's a work practice brought into the home. As you say, it's like, try this at home, try this at work. If it works in one place, maybe it'll work someplace else.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and then if it doesn't, Don't try this at home. (laughs) Mm
0: (laughs) Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Um, We can't wait to listen to Work Life with Adam Grant, your new podcast with Ted about work. It's so exciting to have you part of the podcasting
1: world.
2: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you, Adam. Thank you both. This was fun.
1: And this week's question is a voicemail
3: from Ann. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. My name is Ann. I'm calling from Maryland. I have a question that's mainly for Elizabeth, but maybe Gretchen can help me with it too. This is because my husband and I just bought our first house, which we are so thrilled about. And I know Elizabeth just did a long, big renovation, and we have a ton of work that we need to do on our house. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice for how to survive this process, either about physically, would you have done everything, anything differently, like with the logistics of what you need to pack up and what you need to keep safe, and also just emotionally, I am a believer in Gretchen's mantra of outer order is inner calm, and I'm just sitting here facing a year knowing that I'm not going to have the amount of outer order that keeps me calm, and I'm wondering how you dealt with that. And if you have any advice for those of us who might be dealing with that in the future, I'd love some help. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much. Bye.
0: So this is a great question. Elizabeth, you've been there. You know what Anna's (laughs) talking about. And And this isn't just a renovation. I think it's, you could have a new baby. You could have a new puppy. You could have a relative or a friend who's coming to stay with you for a while. Like anytime your environment is in upheaval that can be challenging for some people more than others, but just about for everyone. So, yeah, what? Did, how did you get through it, Elizabeth?
1: Yeah, well, I, of course, have a lot to say on this topic, Gretchen. I could yeah. do a whole podcast episode <laughs> just on renovation uh, psychology tips. The first thing I would say to her is don't have a date in mind, okay? Mm. Don't think, oh, this will be done in October. This will be done, you know, November 15th. Like, this will take six weeks. Forget dates. Just settle in. It's not going to be, you know, if you think it's going to be a year, I promise you it will be longer than a year. So just throw the idea of dates out Mm -hmm. the window. Mm -hmm. I would also say something um, that's really helped me with renovating. And this, again, probably applies to a lot of areas in life is don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Like, for instance, my friend Mindy just moved and she was trying to pick out lights. And I said, what I've learned in my renovating is Once it's on your ceiling and it's a light fixture, you'll never think about it again. (laughs) So don't torture yourself over these decisions, like make a decision. And most likely you'll be happy with that decision. And I think that just cuts out a lot of angst. Took me a long time to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, because she says, you know, she thinks outer order leads to inner calm, like you always say. And this is something Sarah and I actually talked about on Happier in Hollywood. Um, A listener wrote to us about the notion of a season of sacrifice Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're just putting up with something, uh, you know, for a time being, you know, because there's a bigger reason to do it. Right. And I think if she labels this her season of sacrifice, but knows that there's this big reward at the end, it will help her when it feels like everything is in chaos. It's like, just tell yourself, this is my season of sacrifice. Of, you know, my of of outer order being inner calm, but I will get back there and it will be better and this season, you know, will fade into memory. Right. Right. And it does. So those are pieces of my advice. But it is it can be hard, but just know that it's gonna cost more and last longer than you think.
0: Well another thing that I observed when I came to your house recently, Elizabeth, is um and you wouldn't be able to do this throughout the whole renovation, but maybe at certain points You'd kind of had a designated area where every like your tread yeah. where your exercise room was like everything was in there, and so yes, so it was it was visually it wasn't like everything was everywhere. It, your house was more or less orderly, and then if you didn't know where something was, you're like it's probably in the overflow room where everything else is, and yes. and that was like a good way to just manage it. I thought it's sort of visually, and then also the problem of how do you find what you're looking for if if nothing's where it's supposed to be. Then it's like, oh, my gosh, it would have taken me one minute in, you know, a year ago or whatever or in our old place to find this X, Y, Z thing. But now I have no idea where it is. But you're like, it's probably in this room because this is where everything is. That's not where it's supposed to be.
1: Yes. And by the way, on a purely practical level, another thing I would add is get rid of stuff as you go, use this as a time to purge. Mm, Yes. And one thing we've learned is a lot of time. yes, some stuff you give away, but there's a lot of stuff that's trash. And I think one thing that keeps people from wanting to get rid of stuff is how do they literally get rid of it? Like you have a trash bin, but that trash bin gets full very fast. And if you look online, there are a lot of places that will come and pick up trash, like just private places for, you know, $65. And knowing that you can just make a huge pile of trash in your driveway and then go on an app or something and get someone to come pick it up will help you actually get rid of it. So that's just a very practical tip. That
0: happened while I was actually visiting you. And I was like, what? This big t- pile <laughs> of trash will just be picked up? And you're like... It's a miracle. No, Mir- there- Yeah. And like, spoiler alert, next week we're going to be doing a very special episode where you and I are clearing out your home office. And while we were clearing out your home office, we used the big pile of trash. And as we were clearing all this stuff out of your office, I was like, how can we just put this into this giant pile of trash in your driveway... But then somebody came and took that trash away. It was amazing. So It was wonderful. Stay tuned for more clutter clearing. Um, And the last thing I would say is remember the clean slate. This is a great opportunity. If you're having some kind of major transformation, always think, is this an opportunity for me to change a habit? Because like in my new dining room or my new kitchen or in my new fridge, I'm never going to put... I'm not going to put ice cream in my, my new freezer or something like that. It's an opportunity to use the strategy of the clean mm. slate, which is one of the most powerful habit-changing strategies that I talk about in Better Than Before. Um, but it's only available to us when we go through a big transition. So if you have a big transition, it's a great opportunity that you don't have all the time. So good luck, Anne. Yes, Anne. You'll
1: have to send us pictures when it's done.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a demerit for making her mean face. But first, this break. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars. And this week, you're up with a happiness demerit. So this is a demerit. I think I've
0: given myself this demerit before. I certainly have in my own mind. And um, (laughs) which is there are certain things that make me misbehave. There are certain situations which always bring out the worst in me. And I try um, probably not as hard as I should to fight that. But one of them is traveling. And traveling always makes me very crabby. And I just do it. And so um, recently we went, um, we met another family, some family friends in Quebec City. We had an amazing time in Quebec City. But while we were traveling, I was just... Like, not behaving myself properly. And, like, we were literally leaving the apartment and. I I was inspired to make my mean face, my legendary mean face, which apparently is like terrifying, like this Medusa-like, uh, which I have never seen myself. And Jamie, well, and I should get a gold star because Jamie's like, "Wow, I haven't seen the mean face in a while." Oh, so it's okay. it's good that it's been a while, but um, I definitely did make the mean face. I lose my sense of humor, you know. I'm curt with people. I give orders. Um,
1: you know, oh, it, Gretchen, I'm the same way. It just brings out the worst, right? It, I know. It's the, it should be fun. Yes. It
0: should be lighthearted. You know.
1: I think of our days, I think I've mentioned this before, like packing for family trips when we were young, like going to Nantucket mm-hmm. and we would like be playing the Beach Boys yeah. and dancing around and packing yeah. and lighthearted. Of course that's because <laughs> mom and dad were doing all making all the decisions yes. and doing everything. Yeah. So we didn't feel any of this stress. <laughs> But you know, maybe we need to listen to some Beach Boys when we're packing for our trip, and remind ourselves these things are supposed to be fun. Yeah. For me,
0: it's all the way from the packing to like basically, like arriving. You know, the airport mm-hmm. is a big yes. thing. Security line is yes. a big thing. Do you have your boarding pass? Why? Why are we stopping off to buy? Yeah. I mean, it's just yes. I yeah yeah yeah.
1: All right. Well. It's Do a, better next time. What can I say?
0: Yeah, better next time. Yep. So, Liz, though, give us a gold star. Take us up.
1: Um, well, I have to give Adam, my husband, a big gold star this week because, Gretchen, he took on for me one of the worst things um, that I could imagine, mm. which is he dealt with getting me a new car, or I should say a new used car. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to buy used cars and then keep them for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so my last car, um, I got before I was even pregnant. So, mm. you know, way, way back. And it was a great car and I love my car, but things were starting to break down and it's like my car had been in the shop twice within a month and that was right after it had been serviced. Mm. So I started having that nervous feeling every time I was driving, like, is something going to go wrong? Yeah. And I'm like, I really have to get a new car because also because I'm doing my pilot, it's like I'm driving all over the place. I may be driving, uh, you know, far away at, you know, 4 a.m. I just don't want to ever have anything go wrong with my car, especially being a nervous driver. Like if I broke down in the middle of the freeway, I would have a complete meltdown.
0: Yeah. You and I are both really, really nervous drivers and feeling uneasy about sort of the health of your car makes things dramatically worse.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, but I also happen to be incredibly busy. So I just <laughs> said to Adam, like I needed to get a car. I don't have time. I don't know what to do. We went, we looked at cars. I found one I wanted, but I was just like, well, I don't know how to deal with this. Cause you know, it's haggling with them. It's figuring out like the payment plan and signing papers and transferring insurance and getting registration, all this stuff. And Adam just took it upon himself to follow through. So Uh I didn't ask him to do this. I went to work the next day having looked at cars and, you know, just sort of not being able to deal with it. And then he said, do you want the silver one? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And then the next thing I knew that night when I got home, he goes, let's go pick up your car. Oh, my gosh. And he had done everything. It's amazing. Oh, my I gosh. I did nothing. Oh, I, I didn't did real- nothing. I didn't. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. All I had to do was have him drop me oh off and I got the car. So big gold star to Adam wow. for like taking care of me, helping me out in a very unpleasant task that I'm sure he enjoyed. Not at all. <laughs> That's huge. And also in
0: a time when you were so worried, like to just have that just get crossed off the list. Yes. I mean, that could have been on 18 for 2018 for like nine months. (laughs) Exactly.
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Oh, well, what a happy gold star. That's a great note on which to end. Um, And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this
1: at home. Do something badly. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Special thanks to our guest, Adam Grant. Check out his new podcast, Work Life with Adam Grant. Thank you to our producer, Odelia Rubin. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
0: If you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please do rate and review us. It really does help our show. And someone said, Gretchen, why don't you have a special message for each of the four tendencies about why they should rate and review? So here we go. Four tendencies. You upholders, my fellow upholders, put it on your calendar. Rate and review us. I know you can get it done. Questioners. Why should you do this? Well, it really does make a huge difference to the success of a show because other listeners will look to rates and reviews to see whether it's something that they want to check out themselves. So it makes a big difference. It really helps other listeners find us. Obligers, we're counting on you. And we know if you do it because we look at the numbers and we know that people have rated and reviewed (laughs) us. So we know that you've done it. We really, really appreciate it. And Rebels, hey... You know, do what you want. It's totally up to you. We're just wanting to let you know that if you did feel like doing it, if you had the time and the inclination, you would be a great supporter of the show. So thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Until next week,
0: I'm Elizabeth Kraft And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.